You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke along with Ben Golliver, Washington Post National Columnist. Some not very happy people and heading to the All-Star break and some serious trash talk coming out of the game of the night as the Jazz and the Philadelphia 76ers have given us a lot to talk about. Number one in the East, number one in the West. Great game, overtime, fabulous basketball. Officials are the top story for the Jazz players and Keith Pompey, host of Locked on Sixers, seems to be the head story for Joel Embiid. Just kind of a wild night. I mean, everyone's thinking it's going to be an emotional scene down there in Houston with James Harden. Is he going to get booed? Is he going to get cheered? Is he going to try to step up and, you know, show the Rockets? Are they going to try to uh, turn it into this revenge game? But instead, you're right. I feel like Utah and Philly kind of stole the show here. And, Locke, I'm kind of curious now because LeBron and KD are going to do the all-star draft tomorrow night, Thursday night. Obviously, Embiid and Gobert are both going to be available to be picked in that draft. Would you prefer that they get put on the uh, on the same team, oh. or do you want to see a rematch during the All Star Game uh, where they're going head to head and we can see more fireworks? What do you we think? We might get some fireworks. That might be a way to make the All Star <laughs> Game something. I, I I have a feeling there's some. I mean, it was pretty interesting. Uh, Joel Embiid after the game basically called out Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers saying. He, that Keith had said that, that which he kind of had actually in some ways that, and actually was accurate that Joel Embiid up to this point had kind of ducked out of most games against the best centers in the league. Like if you thought of the Western conference, the three best centers in the West, if you don't think Anthony Davis is a center are Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert and Jonas Valanciunas, he'd missed all of those games. The best centers in the East are probably Miles Turner, Demonis Sabonis, Bam Adebayo, who he didn't miss those games because Bam Adebayo didn't play, but he but he missed a Miles Turner game and he missed an Andre Drummond game. Like there was some validity to the concept that as much as Joel Embiid had been an MVP, he had not played any of the marquee centers. He had not been good in his career against Rudy Gobert. He was not good in the first three quarters, or he was okay in the first three quarters against Rudy Gobert. But going to the fourth quarter, I think he was 4 of 12 against Rudy Gobert. In his career with Rudy Gobert guarding him, he was 16 of 49 going into the fourth quarter. 16 of 49 when Gobert was the closest defender. And then he unleashed a brilliant MVP caliber fourth quarter tonight. Well, that's what we want to see. I mean, look, I'm not sure if we're going to say he intentionally was missing those games, which is probably what got him upset. You know, he just misses time, period, right? And I think that he's sick of people talking about, are you going to be available? Are you not going to be available? You know, what are, are can you be counted on? Are you a reliable player? Are you in shape? I'm sure all of those conversations are just become real sore spots for Joel Embiid. But those are all fair questions. Look back at the course of his career. That's how this career started. That's been the case every single year. This has been by far his most dominant season, and yet he's still missed you know, quite a bit of time here and there. I'm not going to blame him for missing the uh, specific matchups. I will say nobody is ducking Andre Drummond. That's a guy you definitely do want to <laughs> play against if you're a star. So uh, let, let's leave his name out of it. But, um, you know, this was the kind of night that was months in the making. People want to see if you're going to be an MVP guy, you need to show up in those big games. Philly was able to take care of uh, the Lakers with Anthony Davis. Uh, they win a game here in kind of uh, contested and heated fashion. 
And those kinds of things do bolster your MVP argument. So it doesn't surprise me that a player like Joel Embiid afterwards is really willing to talk and really willing to get excited about it. I guess my question to you in terms of the back and forth about the officiating, um, what did you make of it? And is the real story here, not necessarily a specific, you know, foul call here or play call here or whatever, but is the real story kind of the, the collective response from some of the jazz star players it's almost like a Rodney Dangerfield uh, moment here of like, hey, we're not getting our respect and, and trying to kind of send a message as they're going into the all-star break with the league's best record, or what do you think? I mean, Donovan and Rudy have pretty heavy comments today. Um, I mean, when they – Rudy basically comes out and says, like, I respect the officials. I understand they make mistakes. And then basically comes as far as almost saying, like, these weren't mistakes. And – Donovan Mitchell, we fight through things, and the fact that we continually get screwed in a way, we won this game. Like, this was we as small market teams don't have a chance. Um, I mean, the officials called an offensive foul on Donovan Mitchell late in the game. That's blasphemy. I mean, it's an outrageous call. Donovan's bumping in. He spins. Ben Simmons hooks his arm inside Donovan's arm. Donovan, the most important part of this call that to me is where these veteran officials, and these were veteran officials, these were two 30-year guys, is that they call a hook on Donovan, he's shooting with that hand. He can't have hooked him. Like, it's a terrible beeping call. So for Donovan yeah, looking- at that moment, I think that's the snappage of, but there, it's clear to, yes, to your point, it is clear that Donovan and Rudy feel that this is much more than this moment in this call that they're complaining about. For sure. I was just reading Rudy's comment as you were talking, and he went to the same direction. He says, when you're a small market, this is quote, when you're a small market, we got to be uh, better than just better. You've got to be elite, and we've got to control what we can control. So in other words, he is alleging you know, to the league office or the powers that be that there is being a, a different standard applied to Utah because of market size. I mean, if you're Adam Silver, the nature of those comments, you have to defend the league's integrity. You've got to, you know, hand out some pretty hefty fines in those kinds of situations, not just because uh, they're high-profile players, but because, uh, you know, you've got track record of similar accusations in the past, you know, being uh, met with with serious punishment. So I think that's what's going to happen in the short term. Uh, Sort of longer term... Let me me jump in here because there's an interesting backstory to Rudy's comment if I understand this correctly, um, and I was listening, and I and I will say I got this from listening to the Jazz post game show on my drive home. The Zoom is done, and Rudy Gobert says, "Oh no, I got things to say." <laughs> so after Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley had made their comments, it is almost as though Rudy was like, "Wait a sec, I'm gonna say it too." So if they're gonna get fined, then I'm gonna get fined too. Well, first of all, I love that, number one, because that's leadership. Number two, I love it because these Zoom press conferences tend to take a lot of the emotion and the fire out of that post-game uh, you know, setting. I think when you don't have to like look someone else face-to-face, you, know, you don't have to take the heated questions right to your face. Uh, you know, you're, you're just, it's all a blur this season. You're going from one Zoom to the game, to the hotel, to the plane, all of it. You've got all these rules you've got to deal with. I think in my personal opinion, just watching a lot of these calls, being on a lot of these calls, 
they're just a lot less personal, even than the bubble was, where at least there was a few reporters in attendance to kind of have a, some real back and forth. And so I guess my one of my takeaways is I love it. I wish we got more fiery Zoom press conferences, and I wish guys would, uh, you know, maybe not always take the high road if they're frustrated. But I do think that the nature of the comments is going to, you know, draw some some punishment. There, there's kind of no way around it. And I guess I'm curious, um, you know, from a standpoint of you, you could – spin these comments and say, look, this is us against the world. This is the small market mentality you've got to have going into a playoffs. You want to feel like you're in a bunker with your guys. This goes all the way back to the Rip City Blazers I was growing up with. They would always make kind of similar comments like nobody believes in us. We're the little guys. Everybody's coming after us. I also think with the Jazz, they've been so successful here the last two weeks. They're getting a lot of backlash from a lot of places. You know, people saying, oh, come on, they're just a regular season team. They don't have a superstar level player who's going to be uh, on the same level as LeBron in the playoffs. And I'm positive those guys are hearing all that commentary as well and, and hearing that skepticism. So I do think it's a positive that they have this mentality or could this kind of have a corrosive impact? I mean, if you do feel like you're going out on the court and playing five on eight, I do think that sometimes that can backfire on you. And uh, I wouldn't want to see a great season spoiled if, if this kind of becomes the, the ongoing narrative. A great example of that is Paul George. This guy complains about the officials after, you know, every single loss practically. He did it again this week. He had done it uh, previously a couple weeks ago saying he doesn't get the foul calls he deserves. And yet when it's crunch time, all he does is pull up from three. He's never getting fouled. He's just missing three-pointers. And and he takes it out and, and kind of redirects his frustration towards the officials. You know what I mean, though? There's kind of a fine line between having this have a positive effect or a negative effect. Well, I mean, this was the Doc Rivers question, right? Like, there was a feeling about Doc Rivers in, in L.A. that he complained so much that he created this environment around the team that was, you know, just whining, complaining, so that when something went wrong, they just complained instead of fought, right? That was that was the Doc Rivers Clippers comp- uh, complaint. I wonder if part of this tonight is because Doc Rivers is sitting on the sideline whining after, over every single call the entire game, and they feel as though that that, that had an impact. Because a lot of the comments from the Jazz players are, we don't complain, we don't talk to the official, Mike Conley's never gotten a technical. Um, and... You know, so I wonder if there's some if there's some factor in that that you have Doc, you know, through the mask all night long and you're hearing it and then you don't get your calls. Just ramping people's emotions up and when you're in a mostly empty building, you hear every word and it's probably pretty annoying in that situation and hard to ignore, right? So who knows? I mean I I don't you know yeah, I think if you start playing with the mentality that you're being screwed every night, you're gonna have a hard time playing through it. Um if this was two guys and maybe three guys in Mike Conley as well and in Quinn Snyder and a franchise stepping forward and saying, Hey, we want respect. And they, and they're going to play with that as a chip on their shoulder. And that's their, that's their, you know, cry, uh, rallying call for the final second half of the season. I guess it's a positive time. Only time will tell. Yeah. One thing I would say too, is like, we're reaching the point of exhaustion. I, I listened to like, or watched like three different games tonight on every single broadcast, one of the television crews just mentioned how they had either talked to the coaches or the players. Everybody's feeling tired. They're ready for the break. They can't wait for the break. I don't think it's a coincidence that this kind of thing boils over, like right when people are getting ready to, uh, you know, to have this little midseason break. I, I think that uh, those two things are linked, and I, I do think it's probably been under-discussed among media members over the last couple of months of just what a crazy schedule it is, how many games they're playing in a short period of time, how thankless it is to go from city to city to city to not be able to go out anywhere 
get stuck in your hotel room eating room service like that great Rob Mahoney piece for the ringer this week. And that's kind of your entire life. So uh, I don't think that's coincidence at all in terms of the timing. Uh, you know, and the officials might be the same way. They threw out Devin Booker one night and Donovan Mitchell the next, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a quick, quick toss for Booker, wasn't it? So, I mean, maybe, the, you know, these guys are human too. They've, they've caught a lot of games and been out there a lot. No, I, it's an interesting night. I mean, there's definitely a lot of frustration. I mean, it's the sad thing I think for this is the big, to me, the big story is actually the brilliance of Embiid. And I hope that, you know, for all the times that something else other, and I, and I have a little bit of a pet peeve of, you know, the podcast host who says, oh, well, we're not going to talk about the games. Like, okay, and then and then later in the podcast complains that nobody talks about the games. Um, because I would tell you that I think that you, you know, uh, as our next sponsor, Michelob Ultra will tell you it's about the joy of the game. And Joel Embiid was the joy player of the game. And he was brilliant in the way it happened. Uh, Michelob Ultra player of the week is the player that brings the most joy to the game because sometimes you have to wonder whether you're happy because you win or did you win because you're happy. The With Michelob Ultra, you get 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates that success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game with Michelob Ultra. The Michelob Ultra sponsoring today's uh, Locked On NBA and with the play last night of Joel Embiid, we give him the Michelob Ultra Joy Player of the Night. He was completely fabulous. Today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag with the brand new podcast Locked on Bets for you. Get the best lines possible. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action is at BetOnline.ag. Covers awards, TV shows, reality TV uh, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. In fact, I've got an NBA one that I'm not allowed to bet on because I'm not allowed to bet on the NBA, but I'm going to bring it up with Ben Golliver here in just a second as we move on with the show because I've got one that I think I would play if I was allowed to. Anyway, Bet Online has covered all the news, scores, heart, best way to find your, your bets. Head to the website and mobile device. Get 50% welcome bonus. With the promo code locked on, it's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Ben Golliver, if you were to be a gambler and go to betonline.ag and play an NBA futures bet for the MVP of the NBA, who would you bet on? Man, that's a tough one uh, because you're, you're not just asking me who do I think deserves the MVP. I might still be in the Jokic camp after all this time and all this horse race jockeying and the Nuggets not really being where they've been. I mean, to me, he's been the best player. I think Embiid's got a really, really strong case too. Obviously, um, LeBron's case to me has taken a step back here in Anthony Davis's absence. You've got other guys like Damian Lillard looming. Who's the best bet, the safest bet, I would say, is probably going to be Embiid. Um, just because I, I think that they're going to have a really quality record there in the Eastern Conference. I, I would like to see the odds. I, is it possible that James Harden could sneak into this that's conversation? That's my take. Are people, I'm taking James is, Harden. Oh, well, so here's the thing. I wrote about this last week, Locke. I'm curious. Will people forgive him? Because LeBron gets third in that MVP race in 2011. Uh, people are punishing him for leaving Cleveland. KD never finishes higher than seventh in Golden State, in part because he's splitting votes with Steph, but in part because people punish him for leaving Oklahoma City. So have we gotten over it? 
that if a guy leaves or he forces a trade or there's an ugly exit, now he can be rewarded with the MVP because we heard from a number of media voters who said, we're not even going to put him in the starting lineup of the Eastern Conference, an all-star team, which to me was an absolute joke. I mean, he's, he's probably the uh, arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference right now, but no worse than second behind Embiid and definitely the best backcourt player in the conference by a mile, and yet people punished him there. So will they still punish him in that MVP vote? The Brooklyn Nets are 24 and 13. So they've played 32 of their 72 games, right? So they have another 35 games. I think they're going to go about 29 and 5 or 6 or whatever. Oh, my goodness. And when they do that, it's not a question of whether you've forgiven them or not. It's a question of whether you can deny it. Well, we'll see. NBA media has been known to be petty. I will say that. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I don't think they're did... gonna. I don't think they're gonna lose. Like I, I don't think. <laughs> I, there's gonna be a moment in time here in the second half of the season where it's abundantly clear that they're the best team in the NBA, and it's not close. And when You're the that's, most optimistic analyst I've heard yet on the Nets. I love it. Keep it coming. But and when that happens and you're a voter, you can be as petty as you want, but what do you do about the fact that like they're blatantly the best team? His addition made them the best team. They're going to go down probably as the greatest offense in the history of the NBA. Like It's not even close what they're doing right now. Their offensive rating is a 118. It's a full point better than any other team in the NBA. Oh, and he's, he's playing and he's doing it exactly the way that everybody wanted him to do it. And I still don't think he's getting credit for making those adjustments. I, I've heard it from some people who are like, yes, he is making quicker decisions. Yes, he is moving the ball better. Yes, he is, uh, you know, pounding and pounding in isolation less and, and, and uh, getting into his scoring more easily but you're absolutely right they've got incredible pieces around him the pieces fit he's making his teammates better they haven't even really got to see him have an impact on Kevin Durant but when those guys have played they've been awesome they've they've beat all the big teams they've played in, in head-to-head matchups and he's been really really fun to watch too but I, I do think that Houston thing just sticks with people I could easily see um, voters saying look they have a similar record with Philadelphia, and Bede's been a franchise guy there for years. You know, Harden was unprofessional for the first month of the season. Therefore, and Bede was more consistent. He's got amazing numbers, and we're going to reward him. I could easily see voters doing that. I'm not sure if I was a voter if I would make that argument, um, but I do think that's a, a real hang-up that Harden is dealing with. I, I think voters can want to do this, but I don't think they're going to have the choice. Like, they're just too good. They're unstoppable. Their offensive rating is a 122 in the last 15 games. Like, they can be as terrible as everybody wants to talk about they want to be defensively. It doesn't matter. They're too good. You know what their offensive rating is when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's on the floor? According to Clean the uh, Glass, right. it's a no. 126. <laughs> you put Joe Harris was... on with them, it's a 136. That's crazy. I was going to guess 121, and I thought I was being outlandish, and uh, I wasn't even close. That's absolutely amazing. He, the pieces fit great. They play super up and down. And by the way, their defense is better than they get credit for. Right. You know, Their defense has shown real improvement here 
over the last two and a half weeks or so, and they've talked about, hey, don't forget, we had a giant midseason trade that completely shook up our roster just because we made it look easy on offense doesn't mean it's going to be easy on defense too, right? And I think Harden's effort level on the defensive end has actually been pretty solid there too. Now, of course, he's never going to win defensive player of the year, but he's been uh, you know, a part of their success there too, I would say. And again, you just break people's backs. You break their will with that offense. And then ultimately your defense winds up being a little bit less important, at least during the regular season. And um, they've been pounding teams. They did it again tonight. They just absolutely smoked the Houston Rockets. Give the Rockets credit for coming out and trying hard early, you know, trying to make it a game, going back and forth a little bit. But, you know, Brooklyn just took it to sixth gear, and Brooklyn's sixth gear is higher than anybody else's. The comment you made a moment ago I think is the one that's not being talked about enough. Like, they fit perfectly together. And what's most daunting to me as you try to figure out if someone can beat Brooklyn is Durant and Kyrie without James Harden. Okay? Offensive rating is a 120. Durant with Harden, but without Kyrie, right? And at some point, this is how it works. They can always have two of them on the floor. The offensive rating with Durant and Harden, no Kyrie, is a 128. The offensive rating with, with Harden and Kyrie and no Durant is unbelievable. Like, th- they will never, they will have 48 minutes of offenses that are not stoppable. The offensive rating with Harden and Kyrie and no Durant is a 125. You can't match this stuff. This is crazy stuff. The, the thing that jumps out to me about their offense and it goes along with his efficiency is they're never in a situation where they really have to take a bad shot because all three of their main guys are incredible in isolation, right? And so when you do play them together, you get the mutual benefit of the, of the gravity. So it goes back to like the peak warriors. When Katie's on the court, Steph's getting all these wide open layups because you have to pay attention to Katie on the perimeter or Steph's moving off the ball. So now all of a sudden Katie's able to kind of go one-on-one on the weak side and, and get something good. Or you just keep that basketball moving. You've got the two superstars on the course, and now Clay Thompson's wide open on the weak side. Well, why are you leaving Clay Thompson? Well, you don't really have a choice, and he bangs a three-pointer. It's kind of a similar deal with the with the Nets when they've got their stars together. I mean, you can't leave any of them. You certainly can't leave Joe Harris, and DeAndre Jordan's capable of dunking, right? Like, if, if you give him the ball within three feet of the hoop, he will dunk. So you've got gravity at all five spots from those players. Now, it's different styles, right? Joe Harris, it's, it's not about playmaking off the dribble. It's about spot-up shooting. You know, DeAndre Jordan, it's about a three-foot radius around the hoop. But the other three guys, you just cannot leave them, and you would prefer to double them if you could, but you just can't. So these guys are going to be able to pick on whoever your weakest de- de- defensive link is, go one-on-one with an amazing, high-level, efficient scorer, and these guys all take pretty darn good shots. You know, I think Kyrie's probably got the loosest shot selection of any of those guys, and yet still he's been an efficiency monster again this season as well. So um, they have proven the the idea that, um, you know, there's there's only one basketball. They've completely filleted that argument this season. So go back to where we started. With 35 games left, if they go 30-5 and five or 29-6, and six, who wins the MVP? I'll believe it when I see it, but I like where you're going with this. I I still feel like he's going to face some narrative backlash. And I just, you know, he's always been kind of a difficult uh, person and player for people to embrace. Um, I always felt like he got kind of a raw deal in Houston. There was a couple of times where I thought he should have finished higher in the MVP voting. He did, but I would love to be proven wrong. 
and I, I think you're in early and, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's probably uh, pretty good betting advice, although I know nothing about gambling. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the guy we didn't talk about in all of that conversation is probably the guy you mentioned him, but like Joe Harris needs more reference points to these conversations because he's Clay Thompson. So he's not quite, but he's not that far off right now. So they actually have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, somebody else and Clay Thompson. Joe Harris, like, had 19 points on nine shots tonight while taking one free throw. Like, no, and, like, his contract kind of got, you know, questioned, right? I remember it was, like, him and Bertans kind of got thrown into that thing of, like, well, how much is a shooter really worth? Well, I think what we're learning is, in the right context, a shooter is absolutely invaluable with Joe Harris. And in the wrong context, in the in the situation with Davis Bertans, where he hasn't been healthy and shooting the ball very well, and you know, Westbrook and, and the spacing there isn't as nearly as good as it is in Brooklyn. All of a sudden, that Berton's contract looks pretty rough. But, uh, you know, similar skill sets, totally different value perception so far this season. Harris has been a monster. And he plays hard on defense, too. You know, I think he's pretty solid. He's a guy I definitely trust in the playoffs. All right, time for us to run through the rest of the NBA games as on a full night. Uh, today's show is brought to you by, are you ready? Oh, you know it. It's Ben Gulliver time. It's rock auto time when Ben <laughs> Golliver talks auto parts and we go to windshield wipers because it's the only thing we know, Ben. No, just in fairness. Rock Auto is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop the auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Ben, you could do new carpet and be like comfortable, right? I mean, if there's a step-by-step manual, which I sure there is, then I can't guess. <laughs> Whatever it is, choose the brands and specifications and prices you prefer. Because the great thing about Rock Auto is always reliably low prices, always the same for the professionals, the do-it-yourselves, or the Gollivers. When I spend up to twice as much on the same parts because you're at a brick-and-mortar store and they give you less selection. Right, locked on when you check out so they know how you heard about us in the here in the how-did-you-hear-about-us section. It's rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's rockauto.com. And me, subtly, not maybe even subtly, but like making fun of Ben Golliver for lack of car knowledge is really the ultimate pot calling the kettle black. And I don't, it doesn't even offend me. I'll just take all of it because it's like, what am I supposed to say? You know, I really have no comeback. It's all completely factual. And uh, I'll see you there in the uh, the step-by-step uh, carpet changing aisle. How about that? There it goes. I'll be doing the windshield wipers. You'll be doing the carpet. And we'll be at rockauto.com. David Locke, Ben Dolliver, continuing through. Let's get through some of the takes of the games tonight with our Locked On experts. Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks after Nate McMillan goes to 2-0. Hello, friends. My name is Brad Rowland, and the Atlanta Hawks got a massive win coming back on the road in Orlando from a 19-point second-half deficit to get a three-point win that was very, very narrow, definitely in the balance in the final minutes. But the Hawks, the big theme really was the Hawks making all kinds of shots in the second half of this game. Atlanta trailed by 19 in the second half. They trailed by 16 with six minutes to go. And from that point on, basically, they were scalding hot. At one point, the Hawks scored 21 straight points from beyond the three-point line. They made seven threes in the last six minutes. 
and that was enough to get them a win. Uh, shooting stats were crazy the entire night. The Hawks made nine threes in the fourth quarter. They made 15 threes in the second half of this game, and uh, that told the story. Lots of great performances from the Hawks. Trey Young was very good in this game. Danilo Gallinari had a nice bounce back, uh, and honestly played pretty competent defensively, which is a big story for the Hawks in the future, and they kind of clamped down. They did not play well offensively or defensively in the first half of this game. They clamped down defensively. They made a bunch of shots, and at the end of the day, they got a win they were supposed to get. They were favored in this game, but um, when you're done 19 in the second half, you're not supposed to win anymore, so a pretty nice momentum uh, win for the Hawks heading into the break. Obviously, they have a week off now to recharge and re sort of reassert everything that's going to be happening under the new coaching regime. But if nothing else, the Hawks get a back-to-back -back wins at the end. They're now 16-20 and 20 and on the upswing as the All-Star break approaches. Much, much more coming on the Locked on Hawks podcast. Hello, friends. How big a deal that they pulled that one off, Ben? Look, I mean, I think that's great for their momentum. They've been a really, really rough fourth quarter team this year. Um, they seemed very excited about, you know, eking it out down the stretch. A couple of big shots. Trey had one. He also got some free throws there late, uh, moved the basketball, uh, got a corner three, I believe, uh, maybe from Tony Snell, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, you know, this was just a case where, you know, tough week for them. I think emotional week for them. They're going through the grinder of everybody questioning, oh, is their locker room on the same page? You know, which of these players, you know, actually liked their coach, which one didn't. And to be able to kind of go into that break on the high note, I mean, that's the entire reason why they pulled the trigger on uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce when they did is because you want to get some level of momentum going into the, the all-star break and come out and, and make a playoff push. It's, so far, it's going exactly according to the front office's script there. Uh, ben, Bulls beat the Pelicans 128-124. I, I keep waiting for the Pelicans to click in. Like, I keep thinking it's there. Zion's the real deal. Brandon Ingram's the real deal. Lonzo Ball's very good against the Jazz the other night. And then they lose this game. I, I, I guess I should be impressed that the Bulls won it and Zach Levine had another monster day and maybe the Bulls are going to turn out to be okay. I'm more just kind of stunned of when I get to ever see the Pelicans link back-to-back -back nights. Yeah, they're one of the most uh, frustrating teams. There, there's kind of no question about it. It's amazing because usually it's your young high ceiling prospect who you're expecting hey on a night-to-night basis we don't know what we're going to get but that's been the opposite for the pelicans zion's been like the one rock solid thing that you can count on again he has 28 9 and 5 against chicago i mean he's really really scoring the basketball efficiently getting to his spots being that point forward type player and just dominating people physically you can count on that everybody else it's an open question i would actually include brandon ingram in that he often gets his numbers but to me, there's a lot of times where he's just floating through games, not making a huge impact on both sides of the basketball, and he's just not living up to that all-star label that he got last year. Uh, you go right down the list, there's a number of guys who just, you know, one night they're there, one night they're not, whether it's Bledsoe um, or some of their bench guys, too. So I think for Chicago, though, they're going to view this as a phenomenal victory, moves them up a little bit in the standings, keeps them in the mix. 36 points from Zach Levine, um, 25 from Kobe White. I mean, those are the kinds of numbers they want to see from their guards. And, uh, you know, all things considered, like the Bulls continue to overachieve. They probably haven't gotten as much hype and attention as the New York Knicks did because the Knicks kind of made that push above 500, got all the way up to the fourth seed. But to me, the Bulls have been just almost nearly as impressive in terms of my preseason expectations of over-delivering as those New York Knicks. Where do you put Charlotte, who beat Minnesota, in that conversation? Well, they didn't just beat Minnesota. They took Minnesota to the woodshed. I mean, this game was absolutely crazy. Like, you know, sometimes they say, like, great teams, that third quarter comes out, and they can just put away good teams. I mean, I, Charlotte's not great, 
they're good, but I think Minnesota's so bad they could just really be put uh, put away. And this game was over in the blink of an eye. Um, Charlotte is probably having more fun than any other team in the league right now. Uh, of course, a lot of that is about Lamelo. Uh, you know, just kind of orchestrating. You know, his his shot was falling against Minnesota. He helped kind of extend the lead with the three pointer. But they were getting points from absolutely everybody. Terry Rozier continues to have just a phenomenal career year. I didn't see that one coming at all. To me. He's actually outplayed Kemba Walker this year, you know, head-to-head. Those guys are traded for each other. Everybody thinks that Boston wins that trade in a landslide, but Rozier has played much better consistently this year than Kemba has. Uh, obviously, Kemba's been limited by injuries. But this was just kind of a free-willing good time for Charlotte. On the other end, for Minnesota, I mean, they looked depressed during the opening, uh, you know, the opening uh, 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 player introductions. You know, they're not really dancing around. They're just kind of standing there. They get out to a decent start in this game. They just get absolutely bowled over. Um, lots of sloppy passes. Uh, just inattentive play from the Timberwolves. It's got to be frustrating for Wolves fans to watch this. And you just kind of wonder if you're Chris Finch, you know, hopping into this mess, you're kind of looking around saying, what did I inherit? You know, and what exactly is going on? I'm sure you saw Ricky Rubio's comments this week, Locke. I mean, just taking the team apart, taking them to task for their lack of direction and, and focus and togetherness and, uh, I think it's just all bad. The, the midseason break can't come soon enough for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Two final ones tonight. Uh, Lakers lose again, this time to Sacramento. And uh, they do it without LeBron. Uh, so maybe we just dismiss it. But the Lakers have done an awful lot of losing as we head into the break and are now in the fourth spot in the West. And uh, Dame Lillard, again well, late with a big shot or two. Uh, and the Portland really... Uh, a 14 seconds left. Dame hits the three after making free throws earlier uh, to give the Portland Trailblazers the 108-106 lead and to win it tonight over Golden State, kind of solidifying themselves just to be that slight tier above maybe. Um, and, you know, the battle for six is going to be real in the West, though I think Denver's coming strong. Well, for sure. First thing, that's a nice little gift from LeBron to his former coach, Luke Walton, to not play in that game, right? To kind of keep Sacramento, let them have that win, because I'm, I'm sure the hot seat for Luke Walton is pretty, pretty scorching right now in Sacramento. And Lillard also took a charge. It was more refereeing controversy at the end of that game. Draymond Green just kind of bowls him over. Lillard may have been moving a little bit before he took the charge, but I mean, he really took a huge uh, physical contact from Green. So that game ended with a few seconds left. Uh, on that call, and, and people were pretty up in arms both ways. So it wasn't just the Jazz getting into the mix tonight uh, with the officials, uh, David Locke. It was uh, the Golden State Warriors fans as well. There you go. The Jazz and the 76ers lead us off. The Warriors and the West Coast games wrap us up. The Lakers lose again. It's working toward All-Star break. One more night of action before we get there tomorrow night on the NBA. We'll have... Uh, nine more games before we head to All-Star break. Ben Golliver, thank you very much. Super appreciate the time. When's the book coming out, Ben Golliver? The book's coming out May 4th. It's called Bubble Ball. and You can pre-order it everywhere. Amazon, uh, Powell's, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere you get books. I'm super excited about it, so thanks for asking. He's Ben Golliver, Washington Post columnist. I'm David Locke. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast Locked On Today. <laughs> 